We're continuing to look at the miracle at Cana. And today I want us to look at one of the most perfect examples of intercession that you can see in the Bible. Now, intercession means that we intercede in prayer. And the word intercede, uh, well, the Latin means to go or pass between. So intercession is an act whereby an individual positions themselves between two parties, one with a need, the other with an answer, and seeks to bring the two parties together. Now, this is what we see happen in this account of the miracle at Cana, because Mary saw a need. And she knew what to do about that need. She took her concern for this young couple that was about to be seriously embarrassed. She took that concern to Jesus. And then she told the servants, just do what he says to do. But you see, she saw the need and it was a need that she couldn't handle on her own but she knew someone who could. And so she turned it over to Jesus. You know, people's life experiences can make them more sensitive in certain situations and uh, more sensitive to the needs of others in certain areas. And I think that Jesus questioned to his mother that day when she says, what does this have to do with you and me? lifts up something I had never noticed before in this passage, uh, before I start preparing this message. Because you see, to Mary, it has everything to do with him and her. He is the reason that she is so sensitive to uh, this family's dilemma. The entire family is about to experience something that's going to bring them shame for the rest of their lives. And Mary looks around and she knows that this is going to cause this happy couple tremendous embarrassment. She knows it will be the thing that haunts them at every family gathering for the foreseeable future. She knows it will become a, a running punchline at every wedding in that community. It will be the thing that's never going to go away. It breaks her heart for this young married couple. What a way to start a life together with shame and embarrassment hanging over your head. And she just can't stand the idea of it. But let me remind you that why this probably, or, or let me remind you why this probably bothers Mary so much. It's because she knows a thing or two about rumor mills and young brides. I mentioned last week that Cana and Nazareth were just a couple of miles apart. You could see one from the other. And the communities were close in many, many ways. Some there at the wedding, I'm sure, are still pointing a finger at Mary and saying, yeah, that's her. That's the one that was pregnant before Joseph married her. It's funny that her husband Joseph isn't around anymore, isn't it? 
That's her, the one that wants us to think that she wasn't fooling around before she got married, talking about the Holy Ghost getting her pregnant. Now, that's just a shame to blame God for that. Jesus is now 30 years old and people are still talking and pointing. Mary has to do something. She has to do something to spare this couple anything like what she and her family have been through for 30 years. But Mary knows what to do. She goes to Jesus and she knows that he can do something to spare this young couple the pain that she can see ahead. She then speaks the first words we have recorded uh, since her discussion with the angel about Jesus' birth. She says, they have no wine. And that's all she had to say. And Jesus replies, uh, and then we see Mary tell the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. I think it's interesting to note that these are Mary's last recorded words in Scripture. Have you ever noticed that? Her last words, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I mean, not the last words she ever spoke, but the last words that we have recorded here in Scripture. Uh, she tells the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. But I think it's also a charge to us as you stop and think about it. Just think about these words. They're fantastic words. Uh, and it's just fantastic that these are the last words that she has recorded. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. There have been some interesting and profound famous last words from presidents, from dignitaries, from actors and religious leaders. But I would dare say this morning that there have never been such profound last recorded words as these final words from the lips of Mary. If we would heed them and do them, our lives would be better, wouldn't they? Our marriages would be stronger. Our Christian walk would be more worthy. Our churches would be more loving. If we would only respond with action to these last words that we have recorded from Mary. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. It's interesting here that Mary no longer addresses Jesus. She's unfazed by the question that he just asked her, she just turns to the servants and she issues this profound statement. Mary may have suspected that what her son will tell the servants to do to solve the problem may appear nonsensical. And so she emphasized her message to them. Now, let me tell you why. Uh, Mary addressed the servants and didn't address Jesus again after sharing with him the fact that they'd run out of wine. Mary knew something about Jesus that the others didn't know. Mary had been with Jesus for 30 years, and I suspect she had seen some things, don't you? More importantly, Mary understood who her son was. Mary knew where her son came from. She understood his makeup. 
She knew his DNA. Mary said, you need to do whatever Jesus tells you because I have learned he's just like his daddy and his daddy has been known to do some strange things. Now, let me share with you. God told Naaman to dip in the dirty Jordan River seven times and he'd be cleansed from leprosy. That's kind of leprosy. That's kind of strange, isn't it? God told Moses to stand at the Red Sea and hold up his staff and the water parted and they walked over on dry land. God told Daniel not to worry in the lion's den and he shut the mouths of the lions. God had a big, a big fish at the exact GPS coordinates and time uh, to be at a location at sea. And sure enough, a man named Noah, I'm, I'm sorry, a man named Jonah was thrown overboard at exactly the time that that fish comes by and swallows Jonah whole. God spoke to a young man and told him that he'd be a great leader of God's people and took him, Joseph, to the pit before he took him to the palace. God told his people to walk around the walls of Jericho for six times and uh, to be quiet on the seventh walk, just sound the instruments and then let out a shout and the mighty walls would fall down flat. And so they did. Yes, Jesus was, it turns out, just like his daddy and did strange things to bring about a blessing from time to time. Maybe just like these servants, we all should follow Mary's advice. Do whatever he tells you to do, no matter how it may not seem to line up with the way you think things ought to be done. Do them the way that he says to do them. And so this is what he tells the servants to do. He tells the stewards to fill six stone jars of 20 to 30 gallons each with water. We're told these jars were the Jewish rite for the Jewish rites of purification. People would come to events and ritualistically wash, signifying a cleansing before God. You get ritually poor and then you can get into the party. He told the stewards to fill these jars to the brim with water. The servants at the wedding obeyed three commands of Jesus. First, fill the jars. Next, draw water from the jars. And next, take the water to the master of ceremonies. Each act of obedience was a test of their faith but they succeeded because they didn't analyze the command uh, for reasonableness. And this is what we need to be sure that we do, is that we don't just start analyzing and rationalizing what we think that the Lord is telling us to do. Consider this last command that he gave the stewards. And he said to them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it, it says. He tells them to fill the pots with water, fill them to the brim, then scoop some water out, take it to the governor. And they take some over to the governor for him to taste. In spite of the perceived repercussions that they could 
uh, experience from this. Just imagine to take in, here's the servants taking water to the chief of the steward or to the chief steward. Just imagine. Uh, they could have even, they could have had something horrible happen to them. And yet they went ahead and did it anyway. We need to start doing what the Bible tells us to do without second guessing. You know, uh, we spend too much time second guessing God. We spend too much time trying to figure out all the details. Every little detail must make perfect sense to us or we will not move for the Lord. But when they obeyed, the water became wine. Suddenly, somehow, it doesn't say exactly when, uh, the servants, they drew the water out, and whenever the steward to the governor tastes it, a miracle has occurred. And he doesn't drink just flat water. He drinks wine. The Bible simply states the water had become wine. A few simple words for an extraordinary event. The governor is shocked because he's never tasted wine this good before. As a matter of fact, he accuses the bridegroom of breaking uh, a first century custom and of saving the best. And he's, he saved the best for last. You've kept the good wine until now. From all indications, only the disciples and the servants knew the real story. And the story just ends abruptly, doesn't it? No more detail, no more explanation. The water has turned to wine and the wedding feast goes on. I want to leave you with just two things today. Number one, when it comes to Mary, we need to follow her example. There may be someone that you love that's going through something that you can't personally do anything about, but you know one who can do something about it. Intercede for them. We can follow her example. And number two, follow her words. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.